He is, was an amazing point guard. The coach at Oregon State wanted me to be a point guard, which is why I ended up transferring, because I'm not a point guard. But we go back, so I'm really excited to have him here. He's a former professional basketball player and current professional basketball trainer for the Chicago Sky and also works with a bunch of other professional athletes. He's also a business developer. He is the founder and head trainer for Starks Training and is the co-owner of a developer of the entertainment company Inner City Entertainment with his amazing mother. Ice has built and operated movie theaters in Chicago since 1997 and is currently developing a brand new entertainment complex. And I remember you telling me back when we were 18, your parents were the first black people to have their own chain of movie theaters in the United States, correct? Shout out to him and his, and his family. Yeah, let's clap it up. Now, Miss Tiffany Kelly. Hi. Tiffany is the founder and CEO of Cure Story, a creator economy startup located in New York that is empowering sports and fitness content creators to run and monetize their video businesses. Before her media startup, she worked at ESPN Stats, an, inf an information group as a sports analytics associate, where she created ESPN's college football fan happiness index. She was the first African-American analyst to join the team. Shout out to that black girl magic. Throughout her tenure with, right, clap it up. With the leading sports multimedia company and her stint with LSU Athletics, she became an advocate for harmonizing sports, creativity, human traits, and data science. And last but not least, we have Mr. Brian Young. He has a track record of success as an entrepreneur and in corporate America. At 24, he was recognized by both Bloomberg and Ernst Young as a top entrepreneur under the age of 40, well obviously you were 24, <laughs> for launching and building the BEC agency. After selling the agency, uh, Marketo created a position for him to launch the company's strategy group where Brian oversaw the Marketo instances at major companies including the NBA, League Office, Pasonic, North America, and Xerox. So shout out to these amazing people and I think collectively y'all have raised millions of dollars. So we're gonna get into it. My first question is, first, entrepreneurship is really scary, right? Um, when you're first getting started, have you always known you wanted to pursue entrepreneurship? Ahmad will kick it off to you first. I believe it was around eight years old. There was a, a restaurant in my community called Dasa Burger that I love going to, amazing food. But one day it was riding past and I said I, I wanted to own it. And I think from that point on, I always knew I had that in me. My parents, like you said, own movie theater since 97. So that bone was always in me. So I knew early on I wanted to do it, but it's very scary. Getting into it later on in life, um, between being a my own uh, basketball company, training company, and the development, it's, uh, it's been a lot. It's been scary. You know, there's less money coming in than you think at first. So you have to slowly build that up um, at the same time. So it's, it's definitely difficult. Yeah, I think for me, I've always been a problem solver, um, which is naturally why I went into data science. Um, but it, it wasn't, I think, a career track that I originally thought of. Um, my dad is a professor at LSU. My mom was um, also data science coder programmer at MIT. Like, she was crazy. Um, but <clears throat> I think... When I was at ESPN, um, just met some awesome colleagues. We went off to kind of 
build our own company. This was before Cure Story and just the entrepreneurship bug got in me. Um, my palms were sweaty the day that I quit ESPN. I will say that. Everyone thought I was crazy. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely, to your point, money trickling in and taking time. Give yourself at least three to four years before real revenue starts to come in where you can afford somewhat of a livable, livable salary, like regardless of, of VC or investment capital fee raise. But um, so yeah, that's kind of been my journey so far. I don't have a mic. But oh, I Tiffany, can Tiffany, play. you can have yeah. yeah, you guys can share the mics. <laughs> uh, I think it's always been in me. Like, you know, my, my grandmother used to bootleg liquor when I was really young. And I kind of learned from her, and I've, even though we talked about Marketo, I, I've actually started five companies. So I think it's just one of those things where it just just resonates with you, and I think it, it gives you that. I won't say freedom because you always have to answer to someone, but I rather control my own destiny than to have to go to corporate America where you know you don't get promotions just because of the color of your skin or things like that. So, uh, so yeah, I think it, it came natural. Five companies. What are the five companies, and what are you doing today? Oh man. Uh, I had a lawn care company when I was 10. Uh, I started a trucking company when I was 16, 17. Uh, I had a digital magazine, which I started in college, which became the entrepreneurship program for North Carolina State. Uh, I ran a digital agency for about nine years where I did the digital strategy for Obama and, D and the DNC in 2012, uh, which that got acquired. All four of them got bought out eventually. Uh, and then right now I, I run uh, Home Lending Pal which is a uh, tech app that is geared towards teaching financial literacy to uh, the low to moderate income community to help us understand how to build wealth and eventually become homeowners, which is now, uh, as of today, is officially backed by IBM uh, to go to market, so. Can we clap for him being backed by IBM? That's amazing, that's amazing. And before I get into my next question, since you talked about what you do, Tiffany, talk to us a little bit about Cure Story, because I know when we had our conversation, I was like, oh my goodness, I wanna be on the platform. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. Yeah, so we're creator economy. Um, my first day at ESPN, 500 people were laid off. Uh, it was really interesting because I came in at a point where Traditional media was pump plummeting, honestly, a little bit, and creator economy was taking off. Um, content consumption wasn't being driven by media conglomerates anymore. It was being driven by individual creators, niche media companies of two to three people. Um, and so just noticing that trend, um, as I mentioned, I was working with a previous startup when I quit ESPN, but then stopped doing that um, around the spring of 2019, and the first press story of NIL broke and I was just like oh shit like these student athletes are gonna have the same problems as YouTubers and so started building Cura Story um, where we're a video tools company so free editing music licensing distribution insights and then of course monetization so your own creator ad reads just like podcast ads um, so we have about 38,000 sports and fitness creators right now on the platform. Um, student athletes, NBA, Players Association, gamers, the whole nine, fitness YouTubers. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's what the platform is. Amazing. Oh, you get your own mic. <laughs> and then Ahmad, talk to us a little bit about like ICE Entertainment, um, what you witnessed like with what your parents did and how that legacy was now passed on to you and what's ICE all about? Because I know you guys are in the midst of doing some amazing stuff for the city of Chicago. 
And also, who supports what y'all doing? <laughs> um, I'll say, seeing it as a as a kid, you know, I was probably I was five years old, just seeing the grand opening of three. Um, uh, how do I how do I say cinemas in the in the city of Chicago and different areas, revitalizing different communities, the neighborhoods they were going into. Um, I later did a history project on it, but the neighborhoods they were going into had nothing prior to that. So now the, the malls that they're in, um, they're all, you know, blown up full chain stores, Home Depot came apart, Starbucks, all different chains that opened up these malls. So that having that impact on these communities made me want to get more involved. Um, so now uh, my mother and I, my father passed away years ago, so my, uh, my mother and I are developing a new entertainment complex separate than what we've ever done. This will have a dine-in movie theater. Um, a Creole restaurant, bowling, sports bar lounge type of thing, but also an event space at the top for mm -hmm. um, all type of events, concerts, comedy shows, you name it. So it'll be great to do that. This one in particular be in my neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, which will be amazing for, you know, we have nothing over there in totality. I love that. I love that. So can each of you talk me through your fundraising journey? And to this day, how much have each of you raised, like an approximation? And let's start with you, Brian. It is, it is, it is, it is. Big money over here. Nah, Are we in the billions yet? It is a journey. <laughs> uh, so Home Lending Pal has raised $4.5 million to date. Um, we are currently raising $15 million. Uh, we had our, our term sheet pull. Our term sheet is basically an investor saying that I'm willing to invest into your company. Uh, they pulled the term sheet last week because I basically said that I want to buy back the company because they're trying to take about 33% of the company away from me. Um, but we hopefully have solved it this morning. Uh, in terms of the people that are looking to invest in us right now, it's mostly strategic investors, lending institutions. So we have like Rocket Mortgage, Wells Fargo, uh, City, Truist, and a couple others that are looking to lead the round. But uh, typically when you have a VC come in, they, they say, okay, well, I'm gonna give you X amount of money for uh, a particular valuation. The valuation basically determines how much money they're going, or how much of the company they're gonna take away from you. Uh, and because of the volatility of the current market. They are trying to uh, say that our valuation is much lower than what it should be. We should have been in the kind of the 80 to $120 million range. And right now we are looking at the 30 to 45. So, you know, uh, I, I say that because, you know, fundraising is a journey and as a minority, uh, less than 2% of overall funds goes to black and brown founders and women. Um, so it is definitely a journey and a struggle for all of us right now. Yeah, but congratulations on the success that you've had so far. Like. That's amazing, that's amazing. Now, Tiffany, how much have you raised yes. so far? Uh, in total for Cure Story, um, 2.3 million. We are also in market for our 20 Series A right now, which we just got our co-leads last week. So that's not being announced until a couple months. But uh, So we got the exclusive here at the Athletes Tonight Conference? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who the co-leads are. I can't say that yet. Um, but yeah, no, we're currently backed by Lightspeed, um, Cameo, Snapchat, Investors, um, Techstars, Mindspring Capital, um, some good tier one VC funds, and then the co-leads for this round, also tier one too. Um, as far as like process, man, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. Um, so we did a quarter of a million for our pre-seed, and that was all equity crowdfunding and a few angels. And it was so funny because just, I tried VC, like pre-seed VCs, and um, 
it was it's it's difficult. I mean, raising money without a network is like really hard. And by network, I mean if you didn't go to an Ivy League school, if you're just not super connected. Um, and so, I was just like, we have customers or just like family and friends that it's not like 200k, but 10k here, 5k there. So it just made sense to do kind of equity crowdfunding. And I had a VC tell me like, you need to raise smarter money. And I was like, if you think not raising from your, if you think raising from your customers and users is not a smart way to raise money, then I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But because um, we have, I mean, over a thousand, just like people ready to go to bat for us anytime we need something for the company. So I think equity crowdfunding is super smart. That's also changing, like the the mindset from VCs on that is actually changing now. And then we had our first institutional money um, in our seed round last fall. But yeah, I scraped. Uh, was not easy, but yeah, now we're here, 20 million. <laughs> That's, congratulations on that. That's yeah. so amazing. And then Ahmad, I know for you as a business developer, it's kind of like a different, you know, I think journey versus like having like a technology company. So can you talk us through your journey and how much you've raised so far? Initially, um, a lot of that right off the back is your own funding. Um, first and foremost, put in, uh, I guess, I mean, at that point, it was probably $100,000 to put, to buy the properties to put where we, um, to place this project um, and the properties in our neighborhood. So from that point on, you go to family and friends, as she alluded to, for some were, were big amounts, some were small. So you go, um, as Classy wanted me to talk about, like from friends such as you get major lenders from institutions, big banks, things like that, or other companies, other institutions that are designed to give money to these type of projects. Then you can go to family and friends for five, ten thousand for here for little needs, and then you can get go to people like Derek Rose is an investor into our project, Chance the Rapper is an investor into our project, so you can get bigger amounts from these people who have like-minded interests, and then you continue to go from there. Um, but as, as she alluded to again, like there are other things like crowdfunding mm -hmm. um, and other things that you can you can go out and find, but you have to be educated enough to go out and find these things. Yeah, and what's the total amount you need for your projects? I feel like it's a it, it's I don't know I don't know necessarily if it's different from I guess when you're raising money for a technology company, but you need a certain amount of money to actually have your project, and then once you have the project, you'll generate revenue obviously into the business because of it being like a entertainment center. No, yeah, so. I believe the original budget was $20.5 million, mm -hmm. which due to inflation, that stuff has increased, you know, the cost for materials. Um, now you're throwing in property taxes due to the pandemic. We couldn't do, we couldn't move forward for a second. Um, so you still got to pay those property taxes. So that, that stuff has increased. But I think we've raised um, about $15 million. And then there's another, like uh, he alluded to, about term sheets for another eight. Okay. So we're getting closer to getting our grand total and getting this thing off the ground. That's amazing, that's amazing. So Brian, you actually alluded to it, like being a minority and, and trying to fundraise. So can y'all talk me through what has the journey been like to be a black male and female when you're going into spaces and trying to raise money? And it's funny, because I, I, I know all of you guys have had a, a journey. I know Brian, we had talked a lot. You are just like, it, it's so tough. And maybe if I look different, you know, I would have all the money that I need. So talk us through how the journey has been to be a minority going through the fundraising process? <laughs> Extremely difficult. Uh, you know, the first thing we have to understand is that as a minority, you can't raise any significant funds off of just an idea. 
which is not the case for white founders. Um, oftentimes, when you're meeting with institutional VCs, they will often move the bar on you. They'll tell you to, to accomplish X goal, you get there and they'll say that that's not enough, do more. Um, even when you think you have terms as, as, as we are now, uh, and, you know, and I will say for our round, you know, it's not just me fundraising. Like, you know, we have the CEO of IBM, we have the head of mortgage for Wells Fargo, uh, we have the GSEs, or Jenny, Fannie, Freddie, and HUD, who are saying, we need this product, fund this product, and the VCs still won't give us funds. Um, if we were white, we would have multiple term sheets again. You know, we would have pretty much our pick of the litter of what we want. Um, and it's unfortunate for us. I mean, it's, it's very frustrating, and it's one of those things where as you meet other people that have raised funds, not only sharing these stories, but also communicating how you did it so that others can figure out ways to get around these issues. Because, you know, when you walk into a room, there, there's very few people that look like you. Uh, and the VC industry is definitely one of those spaces where, uh, again, white founders, just because they look the way the VC does, or, or they, get, they went to Harvard or an Ivy League school, or they came from a big tech company, it's a lot easier for them just to say, hey, I have an idea, and get 10, 20 million dollars. Whereas for us, as you alluded to, you had crazy traction, and they often try to find ways to marginalize you or shrink you as a minority, and especially as a woman founder, to make you believe that even though you have this traction, it isn't good enough, and you should uh, decrease the value of your company, or, or, they, or they won't give you funds, so they move the bar a lot. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but you know, it is the, the nature of the piece, and it's what we signed up for, or what you signed up for, if you're going to go into a, a high-growth tech company, unfortunately. Yeah, um, two things. I feel like the first one, just really building your brand and, funny, gonna be on a panel for that later, but building your brand and actually having traction behind your name helps a ton. Um, I don't think I would have gone straight to building my own company um, from ESPN that was just a really big leap. So I went with another company first and we raised a quarter of a million. But um, as soon as I got in the room, the, our lead investor knew who I was from what I did at ESPN. And he was like tracking me before he knew that I was one of the co-founders, which was insane. So when I left that to build Cura Story, he connected me to just like all the top VCs in New York. Um, which still didn't get a check after I got connected to them. But it took, it took a few months. But I think that's one thing. Um, the network that you do have and that you have built, like go back to them um, if you do want to raise money. Also, VC is not for everyone. Um, if you aren't going to have potentially a billion dollar valuation, um, then just rethink the funds that you do want to raise. Um, but I also, I, I think equity crowdfunding is actually amazing um, as a way to raise funds in the beginning. I'm really big on it, or at least doing party rounds. So what people always, what you have to do is essentially you have to get a lead investor. A lead investor is typically the person that writes the biggest check in your round, um, but they're also the one that's taking the risk. They're doing the the due diligence, kind of everything with their lawyers, and then everyone else that comes in to fill up the rest of the round or just follow on. And you can get that done in like a day or two. It's not that hard. Well, like once you have a lead that um, kind of does diligence on your deal, 
it takes so long to get a lead, especially if you're a first-time founder or, um, yeah, especially if you're a first-time founder or you are a person of color or a woman. So I was out raising, trying to get a lead investor, um, and nothing came through, and I was just like, screw this. We have, like, a quarter of a million ready from friends and family that want to get into the round, and so we did a party round. Um, our seed, our 2.3 million, was also a party round, too, um, and at the end of the day, like, it's just getting the capital that you need. Like, don't wait around for a lead investor. Like, if you have money sitting in friends and family and angels, like, get that money and prove what you want to prove. And then hopefully you can get um, institutional capital and get a lead in, later in the time. But, um, yeah, no, I, that's just kind of the process that I've taken with... Um, how some of these white founders and um, not BIPOC founders can just get a term sheet like that from a lead. Mm -hmm. So just a, a strategy to, to think about. What about you, Aman? How has your journey been um, as a minority founder? I was extremely difficult seeing and going to talking to major institutions. And like you said, being an African-American, going into those situations, mm -hmm. you've, you notice the, the shift in energy sometimes. and how the lack of interest um, um, you know, kind of messes up that play. Mm -hmm. um, they're just generally not interested in those things. And so now trying to build an entertainment complex in, in an urban area, um, whether it's, you know, it's an African-American community, they're just not wanting to or they don't understand that there's money in these areas, that this business can be successful, as well as my mother has a proven track record of these things, they're still the, um, a lot of people skeptical. Yeah. So you do with that. But then also, um, being that she is a woman, she's the head honcho, the CEO of this project, um, of this company. So being a woman, you get those little pushbacks as well. And I've noticed that over time. I've had a long-term family friend of mine who, very successful, came to me one day. He didn't know I was super affiliated with the project, but once I was running everything down for him, he said it made him more comfortable that I was a part of it. I'm allowing my win. She's the she has the experience. Yeah. She has, you know, twenty plus years in this game. She's done it before, a history maker. But just the fact that I'm involved made him more comfortable, which kinda rubbed me the wrong way. Um and I'm I'm sure it rubbed her the wrong way. So it's just I'm I'm sure it did. <laughs> I know your mom, so I'm sure it did. <laughs> Super. So it was just funny to hear that. So just you just get those little pushbacks, but uh you gotta keep gotta keep pushing through it. Yeah. So on a lighter note, because I don't want everyone to think it's super doom and gloom if you're a minority trying to fundraise, right? But we're talking about real things that they've experienced. I also have seen an influx of a lot of resources for minority founders that are looking to fundraise. So are there any resources that you all have leveraged when you've had some difficulty or any individuals that, uh, that have helped y'all? And then... Uh, another question that you guys can choose to answer is once you guys get to a level where you raise the money that you want to raise, how do you plan to then pour that back into the minority com to community to ensure that they don't go through some of the similar roadblocks that y'all had to go through? Uh, yeah, so, you know, they have what are, what are known as accelerators, which are basically 12-week, well, 8- to 12-week programs in which you can join. Uh, some of them will actually give you cash. I think you mentioned Techstars, which is one of the good ones. Uh, they'll give you anywhere for, well, it can be one of the good ones, Some it depends. Uh, uh, but they'll give you anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $125,000 usually for that program, depending on kind of where your product is at. But more importantly, 
they help you build a network. They help you find other institutional VCs that might be interested in, in funding you in later rounds. Uh, they help you try to bring customers. Uh, we're in the financial services sector, so you know we get warm introductions to different uh, lending institutions and bankers, uh, as well as you know if you have just need advice or guidance, they're able to give you that. And uh, when you're fundraising, you have what's known as a data room, which is basically think of it like your business plan. You know, you don't go as a founder. We don't have time to go out and write a 100-page business plan, but we do have time to go do a 20-slide or 20-page slide deck. Uh, and then also have our financials together. So they basically teach you how to tell a story that will get VCs excited. Um, in terms of giving back, you know, we are uh, becoming a, a B corporation, uh, which is basically the saying that we are a for-profit, but we are a for-good profit. So we do things to give back to the community. Uh, and as part of that, one of the things that we're doing is basically giving funds back to different organizations that are intended to help and, uh, younger, especially minorities, black and brown people, uh, do more in terms of understanding finances as well as uh, putting them into a better position to buy a home. Uh, and up to 2% of our profits will be uh, given back towards that. And then also, uh, as a subcontractor of IBM, the reason that I'm doing that is because that allows us immediate access to HUD, uh, who's just approved over $10.3 billion uh, in grants for affordable housing. Uh, and one of the things that we're going to implement on our platform is gamification, where as you create accounts, as you get yourself into a better position to buy a home, uh, we are going to reward you with credits that can go towards your down payment or your closing costs so that you can actually afford to become a homeowner. That's amazing. That's so amazing. Love that. Uh, yeah, Techstars is great. They gave us capital, and um, they have something called Mentor Madness, which like the first two to three weeks, they're just connecting you to a bunch of people, and we met our one of our biggest investors in our 2.3 from that. So definitely apply for accelerators if you think it makes sense. Definitely choose the program that works for you. Um, we did Techstar Sports because we only have sports and fitness creators on the platform right now, so it just made sense. But there are a ton out there just around the US um, to look into. Uh, we also did grants, so um, the so SoGal Foundation, um, Black Female Founder Grant, um, we got that. There's a grant that we just got that I also can't <laughs> say right now, which they're awesome. It's about 100K, very big, big company, tech company. Um, so grants are awesome in addition to tech stars, or to accelerators, um, especially the ones that are no equity. Um, so apply for those as well. Um, as far as giving back, obviously once we liquidate, I'm also going to be investing in people of color and um, black female founders as well, but that'll be in a, a, a few years. Um, kind of what we're doing today, I would say, honestly, it's, it's a byproduct of our platform. I, we didn't build it this way, but just kind of a positive consequence of how our platform's built. So influencer marketing is extremely biased. Um, some of these platforms like hashtag paid, grin, the creators and influencers that get the most deals are blonde and white, and so, and that's just the nature of, of human bias when you go on a platform and you can just browse like hundreds of people, um, you're going to choose the ones that are most used by brands and a lot of the times um, those aren't people of color and, and on our platform you literally can't browse people, like we're ve I'm very against that um, and a lot of our creators are people of color, um, so that's just one thing that, I mean I'm 
super big about it. We have very diverse creators on our platform and brands honestly come to us for that as well. So yeah, those two things. I love that and I love the fact that you know you said I want to then invest back and I think that's the beauty in a lot of entrepreneurs in my opinion that, that do it right and have the money for them to go back and then become angel investors and then invest in the businesses that you know mean the most to them and be kind of that person that you guys needed when you probably needed money. So I think that's beautiful. What about you, Ahmad? You're already doing so much for the city of Chicago giving back, but but talk to us about. Um... I'll allude to, to I'll allude to both of your questions. Yeah. I was gonna say it's definitely the grants. Um, we've been awarded um, different amounts of term sheets from the city of Chicago for the projects up 2.5 million. Actually, the first one was probably five million. Then we had a, a mayor change, so that kind of messed up the process, but it went down. Gotta love politics, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, the grants, but then you can also look, so research and do, you know, look for grants that, that um, fit the criteria of your project, but then also maybe small interest loans and things like that are also available, so continue to, to look for those things. As far as giving back, that's, you know, kind of the premise of everything my family has done, um, this project, as well as myself, um, even as far as me as a basketball trainer, um, I work with tons of pros, but the, the, the thing I get most excited about is my youth, like my high school guys, helping them go through this process, you know, on and off the court of being an athlete, um, having balances, the group before us talked about, um, different things like that, that, that's so important. So that's, that's giving back in its own to me, and I love that. And then as far as this project, it's just, you know, creating so many jobs for people. This project is going to um, allow for up to 300 jobs for minorities. So it's just that whole thing is just, and then providing something, a service that we don't have, you know, great food, entertainment in a neighborhood that lacks a tons of things. So um, just giving back is, is pretty much everything this is. So continue to do that. No, I love that. I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to open up the floor to our, to our guests. So what is advice you would give entrepreneurs that are first getting started in their fundraising journey? And you guys don't even know, but I'm gonna be listening to you guys specifically, because I had to fundraise to put this conference together, which was difficult, but I have some tricks up my sleeve. What's the future for ShakeOut? So please give us some good answers because I'm gonna watch the replay and take notes of everything that y'all say. <laughs> um, I think the, the first part is you know just telling people what your goals are and what your needs are. You know, you have to, as she mentioned earlier, you got to kind of set a, a price point of where you think, how much you need to raise and, and why you're raising the funds. Uh, beyond that, it's, it's really opening up your network and building a network of individuals that are tied to venture capital. Uh, there, there's plenty of associations and events uh, that you can go to to meet venture capitalists and, and kind of get an idea of kind of what's going on. Uh, you can also take advantage of your, your local SBA, which will kind of help you uh, in terms of understanding the financial component. But... You know, when you're asking someone to, to give you money uh, while they're initially investing in you, uh, I mean, the money is going towards helping you build your dreams. Uh, the biggest thing people forget is that, you know, as you're telling that story through your presentation deck, et cetera, you also need to have that story matched by the financial forecast of where you're going with that story. Uh, that's a part that a lot of us minority founders really miss. Uh, you can hire a fractional CFO for a couple thousand dollars to really put that story together. So. You know, my biggest advice would be to make sure that the numbers make just as much sense, uh, sense as the impact that you're trying to make with your, with your product or your service. Um, outside of that, you know, talk to other founders. I mean, you know, add us on LinkedIn, take advantage of LinkedIn. You know, people do not, you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. You know, if you reach out to, to me or to a VC, the worst they can say is no. 
I mean, if they say no, keep it moving, push on and, and go to find someone else. But I think we get so concerned that by sharing our idea or our concept, someone's going to steal it. When in re reality, if it's that good and you are that passionate about what you're building, I could tell you all today exactly what Home Lending Pal does, and I'm confident enough to think that no one in this room could actually replicate what we're doing. So not to say that I would go do that, but you know, tell enough of the story without giving away the secret sauce that it gets people excited and wants to invest in you and help support your dreams, basically. I have two things, not just one. Hopefully of course, that's okay. Um, first one, raising money is a sales cycle. I see so many founders, oh, I need a million, let me like go out and raise a million and like not actually have a process. And so I took a boot camp before we raised our 2.3. It's called Adamant Ventures. Look it up. Jason Yeh, he was a partner at Graycroft, uh, sold his company. And it's essentially qualifying VCs based on um, their funding stage. So their vintage, like how much dry powder do they have, like, are they at the end of their fund or at the beginning because they're riskier at the beginning? Who's the partner that's going to say yes or no to your deal? That way you can have people back channel to that person. Um, do they even invest in your sector, um, like your industry? Like why talk to them if they don't? Um, and there's a, a few other, and then of course check size based on your round. So, um, so those are a few. So like we have an entire list of like 300 or 400 VCs of just, and I have a connection to like every single one. If I don't have a first party connection, I have a second party connection to that person. Um, and then from there, I just send out emails to my network just to get back channel. Because also investors operate in this FOMO mentality where if they hear your name casually multiple times, I mean, that's a good thing, especially in their network. So it's like, how do you, have this FOMO happen where it seems organic, but you've really engineered it in the back. Um, so just like think about that. Don't just go out and raise a million without actually having a sales process and a funnel. Um, second thing, how many people have companies in here? Okay, cool, cool, <laughs> you're funny. Um, so if, if you're a first time, Okay, who wants to have a company that doesn't have one? Okay, cool. So I would say first time founder wanting to build a company and you needing to raise capital build it, I would say give yourself enough financial space to where you're not stressed and you can kind of be creative and build your product because, and whether that means staying at your full-time job and bootstrapping or like saving up money and then taking the leap, like whatever you, or if you just have money like that in your family, that's great. Um, I didn't have that, so, um, but, I, but I had my parents to help a little bit and it's, it's one of those things where whatever way you decide to do it, just have a year or two years just to where you're not stressing about paying the bills because I think that you think money will come quickly, but we just started making and doubling revenue month over month, and we launched February of last year, but I incorporated the company 
2019. So that's like what three years and some change. Um, so I think that's a that's a big one. Just understanding that it's not going to happen ASAP, um, staying in it, sticking with it, and then just kind of giving yourself that space. Um, I would say first and foremost, um, get your business plan together. Think it through. Do your research. Get that down packed. Talk to other business owners um, if you can, other like-minded people, and make sure the numbers the numbers match your passion, as Ryan alluded to. Like, make sure that's that's intact. Most people um, are looking for they want to make profit. They want to profit. If you're if they're going to invest, they want to make profit. The best thing I would suggest is try to find like-minded individuals. That okay, unless your business just a just a money pot, just waiting to happen. You're going to have to find people who are just as passionate or close to um, for them to invest into your business, unless they're just going to make a bunch of money off you and it looks sound. So keep that in mind. And then just persevere. You're going to get a lot of no's. Don't let that stop you. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Talk to the people you, need, you think you need to talk to. Talk to some more. Eventually, it should come around for you. But you have to persevere through those, through those no's and keep things pushing. Classic, can I add one more thing? Of course. So <laughs> I thought about it as you, you two were talking. So she mentioned FOMO, which is really big. Um, and we talked about getting warm introductions from other founders. Uh, typically, if you're talking about, like, from a venture capital perspective, only deal with partners and managing directors. Anyone under that, the analysts, all they can do is tell you no. So they'll take meetings, but all they can do is tell you no. That is literally their job. So managing directors and partners. Um, when you meet with these managing directors and partners, even if they tell you no, still put them on a list. So she talked about how she built up her list of 300 people. Uh, oftentimes, we'll share these lists with you, but you know, put them on that list and every month uh, create a single one page that has a highlight of what you did successfully that month. So if you had month over month revenue growth, uh, if you had a huge spike in user traffic, if you had you know, media, TV coverage, put that in an email and send it to them every month. That's how you build that FOMO, to make them say, hey, I am missing out on a great opportunity to invest. Um, outside of that, uh, I, I felt like there was one more point I was gonna bring up, but, uh, but those are really two critical elements. Like, you, you have to get investors to feel like you're missing out on something that could be really big. And, and to do that, that's really how you kind of start those conversations and keep those conversations going. Uh, the last part, actually I do remember, the last part is that pretty much everyone in here is either a minority or a woman. So typically in the VC space, unfortunately, or, or in the investment space, uh, you will not get, you'll either get a very hard no, or you'll get a very soft no, a gray area, which is still a, a no, and I call it gaslighting, where, where VCs will, they do it so well, where it's like, oh, well, if you can go get a lead, uh, we will be more than happy to follow on, which is basically saying that we don't believe enough in you and your company to lead the round ourselves, but if you can create that FOMO from someone else, we will follow on to you. Uh, and the reason I tell you that is because most founders get so excited that, hey, uh, they told me if I can follow a lead, I can just have them follow on. They kind of fall in love with that one VC, even though they have no intention of investing in you, but they also have no intention of telling you that they don't want to invest in you. So I say that to say that, again, keep it moving forward, push on and move on and find someone else because if they're gaslighting you, if they can't give you a hard no, uh, they're probably not the ones that are going to go do anything with you anyway. So leverage that and make sure that you continue to move forward. And, and again, put them on your list and make sure they see that, you know, be petty a little bit. Like, hey, you passed on this and this is what I'm doing this month. You know, that's, so, that's okay. So, I love that. So we have around four minutes left. Let's open up the floor for any questions. 
Any questions about fundraising? None? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, for my favorite panel, the panel up there, which is, you know, I'm <laughs> Question for you on folks who aren't familiar with equity crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. Talk about other platforms. Yes. And your company who can help founders with that. Yeah, so the two big ones that we've raised on are WeFunder and Republic. Um, we did our pre-seed on WeFunder, literally like zero customers, basically just a st me and a, a few paragraphs. <laughs> like, um, and I think 70% of the investors were actually from the WeFunder network. So I think WeFunder is awesome if you don't really have a network um, and your idea is just super solid. People, people will invest. Like it's, they'll invest $100, so we have like 1,000 or so investors, but it moves the needle. And then Republic, uh, since we had institutional VCs, that was mainly our customers, creators, brands that wanted to get on the round. Um, and some family and friends too that followed on as well. But those are the two big ones. There are more, um, like Net Capital, Start Engine, but I just, I think those two are, are the best. What do you mean by certifications, like IP and stuff? Yeah, so, so we have, I mean, so we are in the hub zone. The city of Orlando has allocated more than a million dollars to help us hire talent to that hub zone. Uh, but with that, uh, I think the median income or average income in Orlando is like 50,000 and we're expected to double that to like 95,000 per, per role. So uh, if you're looking for stuff like that, your local city council or, or uh, city organizations, uh, the city of, of Atlanta, I guess, uh, ours is the city of Orlando, they would be the kind of the starting point for that. Uh, in terms of like hub zone certifications or minority certifications, it really depends on if you're looking to do government work. I mean, it's more beneficial there than it is to institutional VCs. Uh, however, I will say that uh, because of George Floyd and things that have been happening in the past, uh, you are seeing more uh, black and brown venture capital firms that are intended to invest into the local community uh, for that. And there are hub zone uh, investment, or they call them hub opportunities in which by headquartering your company in that area, you can get anywhere from 250000 to $500,000. But uh, again, it has to have an influence or impact in that area. So in our particular case, uh, the area that we're in, we're trying to actually bring staff there, but we're also trying to have increased home ownership in those areas as well. So again, you have to talk to the city, talk to your, your local councilmen, et cetera, and understand kind of what their goals are and then try to align your business with them to get the most out of it. But yes, there are opportunities to make money from grants and stuff because of your, your ZIP and your, your hub certifications. One last question. Anybody? All right. Well, let's round of applause for these amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. Thank you guys so much. Thank yeah. you. All right.